0: only looking at birds out the window but I we when we went on our vacation this was I was reminded of this that I have a tendency whenever our family goes on a trip I don't know why but in all the like preparation to go I have this sort of deep primal desire to organize and clean my house <laughs> and so it's like there's a lot of work to do to like get everything we've got five kids and we weren't all on this trip but it's we had three of us three kids and it's we're loading up and planning, and you gotta like get get stuff out the door and be ready to go. But for some reason, I also want to get the house clean and organized at the same time, and it drives my wife crazy because it's like, well, stop getting sidetracked. We need to get going. Um, you know, what are social media, obviously, a huge sidetracker for most of us. We just like, oh, I just want to check it for a second, and then wait, it's been 20 minutes. What just happened to my life? I got majorly sidetracked. Um, I think this whole, I was thinking about, some of you are maybe uh, starting off college. I remember my freshman year of college, it was a really fun first semester. And then, I remember coming back to the dorm in January, and there were people that didn't come back. Because college sidetracked them from college, if you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> right? Like there were all the other stuff involved in college that kept them from having the grades that they needed to continue on in college and so it's just thing after thing I think that even this season that we're in as a as a world really with COVID right now it it's a challenge but there is a very real I think there's a purpose that God has many purposes God has in this season to, to do things in our life and to establish our relationship with him and his purpose in our lives but it can easily be, we can easily be sidetracked by a lot of things. We can be sidetracked by, by fear and anxiety, right? Like, we're all going to get sick, we're all going to die, the world's falling apart. We can get sidetracked by conspiracy theories that, man, I mean, what's, I don't even want to mention them. There's so many crazy conspiracy side- theories that are sidetracking people right now. And so there's so many things that can sidetrack us from what God has for us. And we look at this story in the book of Haggai it was these people they were coming back from exile and there was anticipation was high and they had a sense that god was doing something and so Haggai was a prophet who actually prophesied um as i said when the exiles when a lot of the exiles returned and that story is told in two other books of the bible Ezra and Nehemiah which we're not going to, we're just going to get a snippet of those. Those are actually one book in the Bible originally, but we now separate them into two. We're going to read just the first few verses of Ezra, because this kind of sets it up. So, Ezra chapter 1, we're going to read 2 through 6. And we read, thus says Cyrus, the king of Persia. So he was the, the king of the Persian Empire, which was the empire of the world, and it's where the Israelites were in captivity at the time. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord... The God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. So, this is really intense. Cyrus was a, a pagan king, but he actually, the, his name is written in another book of the Bible. The prophet Isaiah had prophesied about Cyrus by name decades before all this happened, and God said, I'm going to use my, my boy Cyrus to establish my purposes in the world. And so Cyrus, he probably heard about this prophecy and realized, wow, God has a purpose for my life. And he realized that, man, the 70 years are up. It's time for the Israelites to go back. And I have a purpose to send God's people back to their land, to build him a house, to build a temple. That's going to be a place where God is honored, God is magnified, God is worshiped, sacrifices are made. It's paving the way for the Messiah and the kingdom of God. So he's he's he realizes this. We read on in, in verse 3. He says, Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. So he issues this invitation to the, the Israelites and says, Hey, I'm giving you my blessing, and I'm saying it's time anyone who that's in your heart to go back to jerusalem and to build god's house go for it and so the people responded you see in verse four well he says let each survivor whatever place he sojourns be assisted by the, the men of his place with silver and gold with goods and with beasts with animals besides free will offerings for the house of god that's in jerusalem so he says not only are you all blank check you can go but those of you who are staying Hey, give in the offering. Like, give money, give gold, give silver, give animals, give your stuff to further this mission because it's God's mission. This is something really important to get get behind. And so the people did respond. It says in verse 5, Then rose up the heads of the fathers' houses of Judah and Benjamin, the priests and the Levites, everyone whose spirit God had stirred to go up to rebuild the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. And so... People responded, and they went, and we read on the rest of the story, there were over 40,000 people who packed up, who didn't get too distracted, too sidetracked. They packed up their stuff, and this was a big deal, back in, you know, 500 years or so, before, before Christ. And they moved back to this desolate land of Israel and Jerusalem, where the city had been destroyed, for the purpose of rebuilding the city and rebuilding a temple. So everything's good, right? That's awesome. But guess what happened? They got a little sidetracked along the way. So things, as you read the story, things started off good. And they got there and they actually like started building a foundation for the temple, for God's house. They started, they were continuing this mission that they'd been, that they were going to, to Jerusalem for. But then they ran into a little opposition. And that's you know, that's the thing about life, right? Like it's easy to like to have goals, but it's when we run into the opposition that things get tough. And their opposition was really tough, because actually some people in the area didn't like what was happening. They saw it as a threat. And by this time there was a new king back in Persia, and they wrote a letter to him and said, Hey, these people are a threat to your empire. We need to put a stop to this. And the king said he agreed with them, and he actually issued a decree that said, hey, wait, no, you guys can't build this anymore. And so he put a stop to the building of the house of God. And I think, you know, they probably at first were like, well, we'll wait it out for a little while. You know, maybe he'll change his mind, or maybe there'll be a new king that'll come. And actually, that did happen. And then there was another king. But they had gotten so sidetracked that they just fell away from the mission that God had given to them and a month went by a year went by a decade went by multiple decades went by where the mission of God was sidetracked because of the opposition that the people of God had faced and so in the midst of this we come to, to our book of Haggai Haggai was a prophet who lived among the exiles and he heard from God and he spoke for God and he had a message for God's people in this situation and so We'll jump to that at Haggai chapter 1, verse 1. In the second year of Darius, the king, so a different king of Persia here, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel the son of Shelteel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. And what's God going to say? Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruin? So Haggai is saying, Hey, listen up, people. You've gotten sidetracked, and you've been been—you've forgotten the reason you're here. You've gone away from saying, man, our ultimate purpose is to be here to glorify God. We're here to love him and serve him and see the world come to know him, and we're going to build a house and a temple that's going to be the center of that. But you ran into some opposition, and so you turned away from that, and you went to building your own house. And not only did you build your house, but then you improved it. And you improved it a little more. And you improved it a little bit more. this whole idea of a paneled house was probably like like cedar paneling, which was really a luxurious sort of finish for, for a house in this time. And so the people had gotten sidetracked from, man, our real purpose is to honor God and to build his house. And they just kind of kept improving their own houses. They were watching too much HGTV or something. Just, just kept going. And so, but this is really a picture for us of my house or our houses. That kind of represents um, what, that our heart, when, when, it's, when they were building their house, it was that their highest value became their comfort, their security, and their personal advancement. And that's the same for us. As we get sidetracked, when our, our highest value Becomes our comfort, our security, our personal advancement, or our career advancement. That kind of represents the things that that sidetrack us. It really becomes about us. Like, hey, what am I going to get out of life? What are my goals? What what am I going to achieve? What am I going to experience in my life? Life becomes about us. But God's house represents something different. It's where our highest value is His presence. Our highest value is His purpose. Our highest value is His prominence. That we want to see Him be prominent, Him be made known. The world know His name, not our name. It's like, God, we want people to, to realize God is God. And so this whole like, shift in values, and you know, can we not relate to the Israelites? I can still sure relate. I so, go so quickly from being in a place of, yeah, I love God and I love his priorities, to I find myself just obsessing about my needs and my lack and my goals. It's just, it's, it's so natural and so easy to do that. And really, when we, we look at what are, what are God's values, what are his purposes, it really, is, Jesus summed it up very simply. He said that the two most important commandments are to love God with everything we have and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so when we talk about, man, what's, what's God's house? It's, it's the, the priority of loving him and, and loving others. It's interesting that the temple, really, in the New Testament, after Jesus, we're told that the fulfillment of this temple is no longer a, a building, but it's the people of God. In, in 1 Corinthians 3.9, the Apostle Paul, Paul writes, and he says that we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. So the people of God are God's building. That's, it's not this just structure made out of stones, but it's people whose lives are being transformed and who are coming to know Christ and who then are being joined together as a community. That's what God is building in the world. That's the, the fulfillment of this, this Old Testament temple. Ephesians 3.22 says, In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So there's this picture that really this is what God is building. He's building a building, it's a community, it's a people in all the world who are his house for his glory. So is it our house or his house? And you know really houses aren't the problem. Really careers aren't the problem. Goals aren't the problem necessarily because you can be you can be building your house like your natural house, but it's not really. That's not ultimately what it's all about. You know, I think about some people in our community. I think about the Thamers, who are here, and how they've like they've had a cool house, and in that house they've had other people living with them. Like the last two years, they've had someone living with them, for a, a big chunk of that time. And you know, if you know the people living with them, man, that's pretty tough to have. No, I'm just joking. I'm looking at Jeff back there. He's one of the guys <laughs> who's lived with them. They've taken in a couple young guys and said, hey, you can live with us. And we've got this house, but it's not just about us. It's about others. I think about the Wisdoms. Who, Eric Wisdom just had his knee replaced on Wednesday, so pray for them. Um, that's, a, that's a big deal. But their house, they've got a nice house. And they've got like, It went from two people living with them to then like, they brought their extended family to live with them. And then they, someone else is living with them now. And it's like, Wow. That's cool. It's their house, but it's not just about that. It's about using their resources to, to build into other people's lives. And so that's, that's true about anything, is that we can be, you, can't ju- you shouldn't judge someone like, oh, you got a nice house, or oh, you're successful in your career. Well, that may be the best way for you to build God's house. But it's so important that we keep the purpose of our house, of our career, of our finances, of our whatever it is, that it's not about that. It's about God's stuff. The flip is also true. Like, we can be, like, really busy with church stuff, but it's not really about God's house. It's about our house, even though on the outside, it seems like it's religious stuff. It seems like it should be spiritual stuff because it can be about, no, what I'm getting out of this or my pride or whatever. So it's really a heart question of, am I about building God's house or my house? Um, You know, we use this terminology about a shadow mission, You may have heard the expression that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And that's true. You know what's also true? The devil hates you and he's got a shadow mission for your life that looks like it looks very enticing. It's It's a road, it's a path, it's a goal that looks like, oh, this would be great. But it's really to be a shadow mission to take us away from building God's house, from living the real mission God has for us. Now, what what is that mission for you? It's different for every one of us, but we all have a shadow mission that the enemy has for our life. You know, it's often easier to get sidetracked by good things than by things that are obviously bad. I talked about my friends in the dorms my freshman year. They got sidetracked by the obvious stuff, by partying and girls and all that. You know, that's that's easy to get sidetracked by. But it's even more deceptive. There are a lot of good things that we can be sidetracked by. We can be sidetracked by school. We can be sidetracked by our job. We can be sidetracked by success. We can be sidetracked by marriage. We can be sidetracked by our kids. We can be sidetracked by all sorts of good things that are good, but they are supposed to serve a higher purpose. They're supposed to be about... Serving God and His kingdom, and when those things become the highest thing, they sidetrack us. All right, guess following. Is this relevant for anybody besides me? I just preaching to myself here. Okay, good. I, I know. I know it's good to see those hands, though. Um, so, how do we apply this in our life? Well, the first thing you got to do is see where you are sidetracked. See where you're being sidetracked, or where you tend to get sidetracked. What's your shadow mission? Are you being lured by comfort, by safety, by success, by reputation, by a certain dream, a certain thing that's become the highest thing? What's that, what's that shadow mission for you? You know, a lot of times, too, I think it's important to realize that when it comes to, to putting God first, to putting his house, God's house first, we do the same thing that the people of Israel did. They didn't say, you know what, we used to be about building God's house, but we are rejecting that purpose. We're going to just throw that away and live for ourselves now. We're never going to build God's house. No, they didn't say that. They didn't say never. They just said not yet. They said, well, we'll we're going to get to that. Just, it's not the right time right now. It's not yet. I'll do that later. You know, how many people will say, you know, I've, I'm gonna, I'll follow God. I know God's real and I should live for Him, but not yet. That's, you know, that's, I want to take care of some other stuff first. And a lot of times we, we do that at different levels in our lives. We're like, we don't say never, but we just sort of procrastinate and let other things fill our life. And the not yet is the thing that can sidetrack us. Um, so what are, is there anything we're saying not yet to? Is there anything where, you know, so, so you may be here today and you've, you've, you've said not yet to saying yes to Jesus, to surrendering to him and giving him your allegiance and loyalty and faith. Um, but maybe there's something else. Maybe you've said, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but there's something else that's become a sidetrack to me my my career my future this relationship this hope for relationship whatever it is that's become the thing that's a lot that I'm that's become my my sidetrack um yeah you know I think it's interesting I commend you all for being here today because even the whole COVID thing has sidetracked a lot of Christians from gathering with other believers and I don't want to waste my time preaching to the choir, um, but maybe this is helpful for someone watching online, because actually in America right now, the, the, as churches have regathered after COVID, nationally attendance levels are 25% of what they were before, and there are some good reasons for that. There are health issues. There are you know there's I don't want to I don't want to judge anyone. I certainly want to communicate. Don't be judging anybody. You know, there are real good reasons. But I've also talked to a lot of friends of mine who are who are, are in that category and they're like, yeah, it just kinda got comfortable this way. I just I just kinda like, you know, the online option and then, oh you know what, I haven't even done that for like five, six weeks. It's just sort of like you know, it's just so easy and you know, there's a church in Los Angeles has been in the news the last few weeks because they said, you know what, in, in, in California churches were banned from gathering, banned from, from singing too. And they said, you know what, we've been respectful to government, but this we have to be loyal to King Jesus. And he calls us, as Christians, that's what we do is we gather. That's what the church is, it's those who gather together to be sent out. And so we're going to be respectful, but we are going to gather together. And there are important times for us to say, you know what, the king may be saying this, but this is what we're going to do. All right, just had to throw that in there. Um, Where are we being sidetracked? Where are we putting our our interest ahead of God's? So once we see where we're being sidetracked, the next thing we got to do is put first things first. See where we're sidetracked, and then put first things first. Jumping back to, to Haggai's message here, in Haggai 1, verse 5, he says this. He says, hey, stop you know, building your own houses. Verse 5, Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You've sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. This is just kind of interesting. And this, theme is repeated more in this message than we're going to we're going to look at today but there was this this lack of fruitfulness in the Israelites' lives they were working but they were eating it's just they were never satisfied they were never having enough it was never working out the way they wanted and that, that's just kind of how it works that when we are living for ourselves and putting our own interests first it just it never quite satisfies. It never quite fulfills. It never really works out. It doesn't itch that scratch. The thing that we're, we were born for, the thing that we're looking for, it's just the more we do it, it just, it just never really works. Because God is calling us to something better. And Haggai goes on. And he says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified says the Lord this is kind of I like this because the king's decree has not changed at this point the last edict from the king was hey stop the work on this temple but Haggai says you know what enough is enough what do you need to do you need to take action you need to lift one foot in front of the other and grab some axes and go up to the hills and chop down some trees and bring them back to jerusalem and continue the work of building god's house put first things first and do what i've called you to do i it takes an action it takes commitment it takes real tangible commitments of giving of our of our time giving of our talent Giving of our treasure. You know, for a lot of you, it may be just like, hey, okay, what's a practical thing? I'm going to say, I'm going to commit to a community group, a small group. I'm going to say, you know what? Every week, I'm going to commit to gathering together with a group of people. It's for encouragement, for accountability, for growth. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to commit to that. Maybe a commitment of our treasure. You know, this few weeks ago, or I mean, not a few weeks ago, last week, while I was on vacation in Michigan, I got a text from my, an old college friend, Brian Welsh, and Brian actually lived in the dorms across from me that that my freshman year where some guys flunked out. He actually, that year, accepted Christ and gave his life to Christ. And we've been friends ever since. And he he sent me this text this week, last week, and it was a picture, right there, that's a picture. You can see the tail of a plane. And he, Brian lives in Los Angeles, and he was flying to St. Louis, where he's from, and he actually his plane was going right over Manhattan. That's Tuttle Creek Lake right there, and that's Manhattan. He's like, hey man, I'm flying right over your town. This is crazy. Here's a picture. And so I thought of Brian, I was like, you know, Brian's a good friend for a lot of reasons, but one reason Brian is a good friend is that right after Brian graduated with a degree in aerospace engineering and took a job for he works for Boeing in Los Angeles, he may have his company may have designed that plane. I'm not sure if that's Boeing or not. Some of you may be able to tell. But he's been an aerospace engineer ever since, doing this like high-tech space, space war stuff, working on satellites. He can't really, he can't tell me what he does exactly. But he got that job right out of grad school, at the same time that Reagan and I, my wife and I, were just graduating and we were starting our work as campus ministers. And we were raising a team of financial partners to allow us to go out and do that. And in 1996, Brian Welsh said, hey, I wanna join your team. I wanna give $150 a month to partner with you and your ministry. So he made a decision. He said, along with supporting my local church and tithing, I wanna give above and beyond that to partner with you and actually someone else in our ministry he did that with as well. And I just did the math this morning Brian has given over $43,000 to our ministry and our life. I'm like, wow, that was a commitment. You know, that was like, he he did something tangible. He said, all right, I'm going to like fill out the form and make a commitment. And that money's going to be taken out of my bank account every month. And here we are, $43,000 later, he did something. And man, I think when Brian goes to heaven, he's going to be talking to some of you guys. And be like, hey, yeah, man, you were part of me coming to the kingdom of God. You were part of my life. You know, it's, it's amazing how, you know, I'm just so excited. It's cool to see how that plays out. And so when we put first things first and do something tangible, make a commitment that keeps us from getting sidetracked. You know, I know you say yes to that community group. And then October comes and midterms are here. And it's like, oh, man, I'm really busy this week. I don't have time. It's those commitments to say, am I going to continue to put first things first? I say, man, I want to commit to spending time with God every morning. You know, I want to spend time with God. Read the Bible and pray every day. That sounds like wonderful on a Sunday morning. Like, yeah, I should do that. But then it's like, okay. That means I need to, you know, maybe go to bed a little earlier. And, you know, I'm going to set my alarm an hour earlier. Sounds like a good idea. You know when that doesn't sound like a good idea? When the alarm goes off, right? It does not seem like a good idea at that point. But that's the question, is am I going to put first things first as life is hitting and as as things are coming my way? And so we need to put first things first. And then there's one more thing that's really important in this process, and it's a lot of fun too. Not only do we need to see where where our tendencies are to get sidetracked and put first things first, but then we need to get stirred up. We need to get stirred up. And what does that mean? Well, let's look at the story here. Back to the story, Haggai chapter one, verse 12. I hope it's there, because I don't have it up in Okay, good. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, who's the, the political leader, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. So they put things first, first things first. They said yes. They obeyed God, and they started, they started building his house. And look, look what happened next. I love this. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's, mes- with the Lord's message, which was, I am with you, declares the Lord. You know, there's something about when we step out in faith and obedience to God, that God, He speaks to us in a way that we don't hear His voice before we obey. We experience His presence in a manner that we don't experience until we get out there in obedience and putting Him first. And God says, and we experience that, man, He really is with me. As I'm with Him, you know what? He's with me. And there's nothing like that. And what happened after that? And the Lord stirred up the spirit. He stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah. And this, he stirred up the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. And he stirred up the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of Hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. And I love that, because a lot of times when, we, when you say yes to God, You may may feel it, but a lot of times you don't feel it. A lot of times it's just an act of obedience. It's just an act of love. That's how any any real relationship is. Any, Any valuable relationship is. It's a commitment to someone when you feel like it and when you don't. But oftentimes, when we obey God, He does something in our heart. And He stirs us up. And we were meant to live being stirred up. We were meant to live with an energy and a life and a passion. That only god can bring we need to have our spirits stirred up um i we ah ooh, ah. i don't know what i'm gonna say <laughs> got sidetracked there when we were last week on vacation in michigan we went to the grocery store and bought stuff for our week which is kind of fun because when you're on vacation you buy stuff you don't buy all the time so we bought a lot of ice cream and then we kept going back actually we eat a lot of ice cream anyway but we ate even more ice cream <laughs> On vacation and i got a jug of, of orange juice because we don't usually have orange juice at home but I was like man i got some pancake mix and we're gonna have some milk and orange juice to go with that and so when we went to get that orange juice one morning i i poured myself a glass and i was like this looks really weak and I was like, oh, I forgot to shake up the bottle. It's been a long time. you got to do that. you got all the concentrate, whatever pulp you know, was in there. you got to shake it up. And so I actually poured my cup back in the bottle, <laughs> shook it up, and then poured it out. And oh, man, that was good orange juice. That was like the real deal. That was thick because it was stirred up. And that's how our lives are. When we're a believer, like God puts good stuff in us. His spirit comes in us, his desires come in us, his passion, his, his values come inside of us, his priorities like become, they, they come inside of us when we give our hearts to God and he changes us from the inside out. But they can kind of settle sometimes, if you know what I mean. They're in there, but you know, they're not in that first class, you poor. And so you've got to be stirred up you got to, like, take that jug of your life and shake it up and get stirred up. Get your faith stirred up. Get the, the good stuff in there has to get stirred up. And so that happens. As we obey God and as we hear his word, something happens to, to stir us up and to give us the passion and the energy and the, the zest that we need to carry this, carry this out. Uh, it's wild that, to read that story that in one month, this, the temple had been lying dormant, dormant for decades. And in one month, after they obeyed and got stirred up, there was major progress that happened when they just got after it and then God stirred up their spirits. And that's the same thing that can happen to us. You know one month of obedience and faithfulness and letting God stir up your spirit, wow, God, more can happen in your life than it has happened from up to this point when we're in that place. Um, and that's one more side note here that I think is important because it can be like, well, how do I get stirred up? You know, like sometimes that happens. I know, like, man, maybe I've been in church and worshiping and I feel God stir my spirit or I've had this experience with God and I feel stirred up, but I don't feel that way a lot. Now, in the, especially in the New Covenant that we experience as followers of Jesus with his spirit in us, God does things to just stir us up, but there's also a responsibility we can have to stir up our own spirits and to come into that. And uh, Paul, the apostle, talks about this in 2 Timothy 1. He's speaking to his spiritual son, Timothy, and he says, I call to remembrance the genuine faith that's in you. Therefore, I remind you. So he's saying, you're like that orange juice. You got real faith. You got the good ingredients are inside you. That faith is there. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So it's there. And I've like laid hands on you. I've imparted spiritual gifts. You've been filled with the Holy Spirit. There are things that God has put in you, spiritual d- dynamic gifts from God. But you gotta, I'm reminding you, you've got to stir those puppies up. They don't just stay stirred up. You've got to stir them up yourself. And then um, in 2 Peter, the apostle Peter writes a similar thing. He says, I think it's right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder. So Peter's writing and saying, hey, as I'm telling you, as I'm speaking God's word to you, I'm seeking to stir you up, reminding you. So we stir ourselves up by by prayer. As we come to God and pray, as we pray in the spirit, as we, we activate the spiritual gifts that God's given us, we stir up the faith that he's put inside of us. As we hear God's word and meditate on it, faith comes alive as we speak God's word. As we take, like, God, I'm not feeling it, but I remember you said that you will never leave me or forsake me. God, yeah, you said that. You said you're never going to leave me or forsake me. You said I could do great things because you're with me. We start speaking God's word to ourself. That those, those concentrate things in us start getting stirred up, and we come alive. And even as, as Peter said, I'm stirring you up. There's something about, as we talked about, coming together with other people that stirs us up as well, and we stir each other up through our interaction. With each other. So we gotta see where we're distracted, where we're sidetracked, we gotta put first things first, and we gotta get stirred up. Now this is really like pretty, pretty cool. Because if you imagine a group of people living like this. And actually, you don't have to imagine too much because like it's right here. This is a group of people living like this. This is a group of people that are saying, you know what, I'm gonna live not just for myself, but for God and for His purpose and to see the world come to know who He is. To see people around me. I want to love people around me the way God loves them. And see, see them experience that. I mean, that is, that's, this, that's, that's what is right in this room, right here. And man, just as there were st- stories that were written down about Zerubbabel and Joshua and Haggai, all these guys, man, there's stories that are being written right now in our lives as we were saying yes to God, and saying yes to, you know what, I'm not gonna just build my house. I'm not gonna get sidetracked, but I'm going to be about furthering God's purposes, loving people around me, and being a part of that. And I'm just am excited about it. I always love this time of year. I love the start of the semester. So much, so much anticipation, so much opportunity, and God is, is ready to do things we've never seen before. I know this year looks like no other year and who knows what it's going to look like, how it's going to play out, but as we keep our anticipation up, even as things don't look like, we should be anticipating good things. As we keep our anticipation in God and putting first things first and being stirred up, it's exciting what he's doing. So, um, worship team, why don't you all go ahead and come on back up here and we're going to we're going to worship God with another another song here, and go ahead and stand up on your feet. And I just want to pray for us as we as we do that, Father. say today that you are worth it. Your your purpose for each of our lives is the best. And it's where we find life and fulfillment. Mm -hmm. Lord, even in the places where we so easily get sidetracked, Lord, I ask that you would Identify those in our hearts in such a way that we would, we would be on guard not to get sidetracked. Lord, today we say yes to you. We say yes to the anticipation of your good work in every season, in every situation, every challenge, in every new season. In every opportunity, we say yes to you. Lord, would you take our lives, would you take our resources, would you take our time, would you take our talents, take our our money, take everything we are to build your house. And let us be fully part of that. Thank you, in Jesus' name. Amen.